Hello, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and welcome to Palliative Care Chat, the podcast brought to you by the online Master of Science and Graduate Certificate Program at the University of Maryland. I am so excited about our guest today, I just can't stand it. Our guest is Dr. Susan Christianak. Susan has multiple, multiple credentials. She has her doctorate in health administration. She has her master of science degree uh, in nursing with a focus in integrative health. Uh, she is a nurse, of course. She has an advanced, she's an advanced holistic nurse, and she is a nurse executive with advanced certification. She is a certified um, nurse in uh, aromatherapy, and she is a Reiki master. Susan, did I miss anything? Good grief, you've got so many wonderful credentials. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, it's been quite a journey and enjoyable. Yes, and your current position is Associate Director for University of Pennsylvania Health System in Palliative Care. And I know you wear many hats there as well. Isn't that correct? That is correct, yes. Um, Wonderful. And I've been fortunate enough to have you come and join our team and share your expertise as well. So happy to be a part of this. Well, wonderful. Thank you. Um, so what I'd like to talk about today with Susan is to focus on her role in aromatherapy, which is a topic that I'm a pharmacist, so I find it very interesting and very different from what I do for a living. So when I think of aromatherapy, Susan, I want to order the scent of freshly baking bread. So can you get that for me? You can talk about it. Can you start by telling us what the heck aromatherapy is and give us a little bit of the background? Absolutely. So aromatherapy by definition is the therapeutic use of pure, unadulterated essential oils, their hydrosols, and fragrant plant material for the purpose of holistic health treatment. And that is quoted from Maurice, Rene Maurice Gattafossi, who in the early 1900s actually coined the term aromatherapy in his own self-discovery following what the history tells us is a burn um, that he experienced while working in a lab. Um, there is some urban legend that he immediately immersed this burned uh, tissue into lavender oil and found it to be healing. Um, subsequent information around this event was that the burn became infected. He actually had quite rancid scent to it and started using what was then perfume, all made from natural plant parts. And when he applied it for scent diversion, he actually experienced a healing process. Um, he then continued to, uh, really from a scientific vantage, mostly case study review and trial and error of what was considered perfume to really study what we know now is this idea of essential oils um, using for healing properties for wellness, et cetera. Um, it is, um, it's a fascinating field, um, one that I fell into actually introduced by a psychiatrist who at a part of my career um, was looking at options to introduce aromatherapy as a way to calm, provide relaxation for patients who were admitted to uh, an acute care psychiatric unit with a diagnosis of agitation with their dementia. Mm, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? There had been some research. Uh, There's a study by Ballard that looked at the same phenomena in long-term care, um, kind of Alzheimer's unit, um, using uh, a scent called Melissa oil. And they had found some improvement in patient behavior in terms of mitigation of that excessive, aggressive nature of behavior that we all know can be just so disruptive. In, in retrospect, with the other component of why this psychiatrist was interested is when you think about what their options are for care in that elderly population, which automatically demands a whole other level of pharmacological 
pharmacological approach. Um, what did we have available? We had things like Haldol or the benzos, um, which many times escalated delirium, caused more instability, um, increased falls risks, um, all of those pieces, unfortunately, that go with that calming effect. Mm-hmm. So and that was kind of the motivator. Yeah, we're in a tough position now with the overuse of opioids and especially with combining them with benzodiazepines and so forth. So uh, certainly thank you for sharing that background with us, but what would be a modern-day example where aromatherapy might be useful for a patient? Sure. So um, my effort, in, and I kind of got launched into uh, participating in some of the research that we did in this, in this suburban hospital outside of Philadelphia, um, really then project, put me on a trajectory of being trained uh, as a certified nurse aromatherapist. Um, and my goal, my personal goal, is always to be, put it in the hands of healthcare providers that really appropriately screen um, think about thoughtfulness, the thoughtfulness about when to use it, how to use it, because there's options of that as well. Um, and so I had, I started in this small hospital nursing-driven program where bringing to the bedside, and it has changed over iterations of time when we've had better, different types of variety of supplies. So right now, currently, what we're doing at University of Pennsylvania is offering patients um, scents, essential oils, which is the byproduct of plant parts that go through typically either a water or steam distillation process. And they're extremely concentrated. So Lynn, for example, um, it takes... 80 roses to give us a single drop of rose oil. Oh, my goodness. It takes a pound of lemon peel to give us a single drop of lemon oil. So they're very, very concentrated. They're different than the, their, their uh, related herbal ingestion kind of understanding. And as an example of that, if you would ingest, um, and ingestion is very highly regulated because of the power of these drops, if you were to ingest a single drop of fennel, it would be equivalent to drinking 20 cups of herb tea at a wow. single sitting. So you get that relationship, yes. So what we're doing currently um, is we're offering patients um, three oils. One of them is lavender. Um, Lavender has been researched in terms of, in many different kinds of populations, the elderly, autistic children, people in pain. Um, It's been researched in collaboration with doing massage, with doing acupressure. Um, And they have found through the data that it definitely has demonstrated this relaxation response to the point that it then subsequently improves sleep. It controls anxiety, um, and we all know the relationship of anxiety then uh, in proportion to pain perception. Mm-hmm. So this idea of lavender then helping with pain management, with sleep, the sleep process, and with overall anxiety. Um, we are fortunate at Penn um, that when we started this program about 20 months ago uh, that we were able to find a vendor who actually gives us the oil contained in what looks like the old Vicks VapoRub inhalers. Mm-hmm. if you remember those. So it's single use. Um, it's private patient use only. It requires no uh, preparation on the, on the part of the nurse. Um, there's uh, education on how to use it, holding it under your nose, doing deep inhalations. Um, and we're able to offer this to patient as a self-care practice. The inhalers are unique in that if you keep them closed, um, they can last up to six months. Wow. And they are significantly inexpensive in terms of cost. Mm-hmm. Um, we selected lavender for those purposes, and then we selected uh, peppermint and ginger and th- for, uh, for the purpose of nausea. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason we went to two of those is peppermint we love. It's invigorating. It's uplifting. Um, it gives many, many attributes. Uh, it's been studied for post-anesthesia nausea. Um, it does have, though, some contraindications. And certainly introducing it into a tertiary care environment, um, a very, very, very conservative approach. So patients who have a history of hypertension or cardiac disease, because of the vasoconstrictive properties of smelling peppermint, um, it is contraindicated for pregnant women, for women who are lactating, uh, for children under the age of six. Um, that being said, we brought in a secondary scent, which is ginger, which has been studied along with other anti-motion drugs in comparison um, and has been found to help again with nausea as a secondary offering for our patients. We, tar we targeted the oncology population who, um, in parallel to me doing a small study within palliative care, um, patients that have high symptom burden um, along with um, their serious illness and always looking for options for care, right? So mm -hmm. we did a small pilot of 30 patients. We offered um, these oils. Um, a nurse introduced them, and we also introduced lavender as a standing practice as a hand massage. Mm. So there's dermal absorption, much like we think about other types of pharmacological, right, like mm -hmm. scopolamine and fentanyl and nicotine patches. Um, so we provided a hand massage intervention as well. The study we did initially is our pilot was 30 patients, 29 of them experienced positive, uh, positive improvement in their nausea, anxiety, overall well-being, and the language of these these symptoms came from a validated tool, the Edmonton Symptom Assessment Scale. Sure. So a pain, uh, much like pain is Likert score 0 to 10, we are doing now the same with other symptoms. Um, and we're asking our nurses to do a pre-score, much like pain, document the intervention, which we build into our EMR. So you select uh, the inhaler choice or the hand massage choice, and then they're doing a post-assessment. Mm -hmm. and we're able to collect that data in uh, as a quality improvement initiative. Uh, the, the Hospital University of Pennsylvania has embraced this more than I could have expected. In 20 months, we've trained, I think, yesterday's count was about 840 nurses. Wow, that's a lot. And without, without marketing, you know, um, I think my personal belief is that nurses many times when I've done some foundational surveys of, are you using any therapies? What are you using? There's a lot of rogue behavior out there, right? Mm -hmm. So um, according to the many state board of nurses, there, there is a, uh, there's permission to practice, to use these all, any of the integrative modalities as long as it is within a standard of practice. So at Penn, we've created policy that, that describes very very specifically the, um, the scope of practice. Um, we provided the product, so we're assuring quality, which is a very important component of this. We secure material safety data sheet information on them. We are provided, we created a patient education information, which actually then, um, as we all know, um, giving patient information in one and done is usually not well absorbed, especially in the acute patient care area where they're bombarded with information. So we provided information on the go um, for them to take, and we put in a, a documentation source so that we can actually now uh, quantify patient responsiveness and really pull that data from a quality perspective. Um, we actually uh, we pulled we've. <laughs> 
we've just transitioned to a new EMR, but in our previous EMR, um, we actually were able to pull the data, and I could share with you that the comparison of pre to post scoring mm-hmm. for anxiety and depression, which we didn't really uh, ask that nurses include that that scope or that symptom, we saw a six-point change in a 10-point Likert scale by smelling lavender or having a lavender hand massage. Wow, that's amazing. And we know that a 30% reduction is clinically important, pain relief at least. So that's huge. So in pain scores, um, pain scores and nausea scores, we saw uh, around uh, between a 3.5 and a a 4-point change. That's in amazing. Likert score. Yeah. And does that effect persist? How long would it persist for? So it really depends. Um, I have to tell you, it depends on the individual. It depends on their overall well-being, uh, their metabolism, because they, the oils get in your system and then they're metabolized primarily through your liver um, and excreted. Um, so we, what we've done is we've allowed the patients to keep this uh, inhaler or a one-ounce bottle of personal lavender lotion at the bedside and instructing them to use it PRN. It's really, really, really hard to overdose on lavender. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can have a paradoxical effect and have an increase in anxiety. Mm-hmm. haven't seen it in 12 years, but it apparently could occur. So we're allowing them to keep it at the bedside. The other messaging, very, very clear, though, um, as part of this approach is more isn't better. Um, as long as the patient is doing a correct deep inhalations, not just whiffing it like they're they're testing a perfume sample, um, you then might have to go back to the Pixis. And you might have to say, you know, okay, it didn't work. Because we know that's true of all kinds of interventions. So you don't say take five more deep breaths instead of two. You say, okay, so you're, you did not respond as well, So let's, but we want to keep you comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, it can last three hours. I've seen it last five hours. I think the anxiety component, what we're seeing in our geriatric population in Penn, um, is once you bring down that anxiety, then many times our confused patients are actually finally then resting. Mm-hmm. And they're catching up on that sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, ironically, as a again, as a second off of this experience, my geriatric nurses are saying, you know, Sue, we're decreasing one-to-ones because mm-hmm. the patient is sleeping comfortably and we're checking on them, but they're not agitated, they're not upset because we've eliminated some of that overlying delirium that we're creating by new environment, new, you know, stimulation of being in the hospital, and we're allowing them to rest. Mm-hmm. appropriately. So um, again, there you're seeing a much more prolonged effect. Um, once you get them quieted, calmer, um, you actually see then that, that anxiety-free time is really expanded. Yeah. This almost seems too good to be true. And I'm going to go <laughs> out on a limb here and sure. assume that I think this would be almost as relaxing to the staff as it would be to the patient. How Amen. How uptake then? <laughs> I, I, Amen. I would think they would enjoy that. It's something they can do. It's certainly not yeah. harmful. So uh, what is yeah. the response you've gotten? So the staff, I think, by just by virtue of what we're hearing in terms of utilization, um, they all have to go through two-hour competency training as part of this. We just don't just put this stuff out in the world. And so part, um, that, to me, is, is a critical component of understanding where there is exclusion, where there is contraindication, how to do assessment, obviously, to the policy. Um, ironically, the staff is certainly embracing it for themselves as well, and we recognize that. So during things like Nurses Week in our uh, nursing Wellness Center, we, mm-hmm. we provide hand massages. 
Wow. We um, And ironically, I have to tell you why these are available. Um, I was following some nursing or for medical students the other day who I was smelling lavender very predominantly. And I said to them, wow, that smells good. Where did you get it? And she pulled out the inhaler. <laughs> she said, the nurses thought I needed a little calming, so they gave me this. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yes. So it is, It is. Uh, in terms of uh, what has transpired many times in my role is this idea of how can nurses then transform this into a self-care practice. Sure. So when I teach the class, I don't look at, I, I teach to not only what we're providing as an organization for their care and really as a new education opportunity for patients, but here's other other ways of, of doing it, like through diffusion, you know, there's misters or um, that people will have, um, or there's things you can put in your car, at, at, in your car charger and, and create scent. Um, here's other ways that your patients may describe how they're using it um, and how you too could maybe consider it. And it's ironic, I have nurses who... Um, will send me pictures that they're, you know, they're out looking for oils or they're now using lavender and they're, um, you know, scenting their sheets at night to improve their sleep. Sleep is such a, we chase it all the time. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's, uh, that was, that's probably one of the most common reasons people seek out this, this bucket of integrative therapies, anxiety and sleep. Yeah, and I like uh, the use of the word integrative, not complementary and alternative, because it's certainly yeah. not alternative. It's become mainstream now. Yes, and actually the, the, the NIH recently changed the name of their agency to reflect that. They took alternative out of the language. It's now the National Center of Complementary and Integrative Health, which is actually a wonderful website, um, that'll, the NCCIH, uh, I think it's .nih.gov. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, one of the, the important pieces that, again, a great reference for, uh, for folks listening to this cast, podcast is that they have an A to Z topic listing on their, on their, web, on their main page. Uh, their landing page, where anything that anybody describes to you, um, you can at least look up what it is, you know, where it's, what, what's been researched in it, where there might already be founded contraindications. Um, because we as healthcare providers, I think, are, are at times equally unaware of some of the practices out there that are centuries old. I think mm -hmm. one of the greatest examples of that is um, the last Olympics when Michael Phelps got up on the swimming block and had all the bruising all over his body, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They were doing cupping, cupping yeah. mechanism. Um, mm -hmm. You know, an example, a lot of people had no idea what that was. And again, century-old practice. Um, mm -hmm. Does it, you know, the impact, I'm not sure, but his coach and medical team seemed to think that it did. <laughs> Well, it must have so, worked. You get 47 gold medals. I, I know. <laughs> yes, it's hard. It's hard to argue, isn't it? Yes. Uh, but that's a wonderful site to um, explore oils, to look at some research, uh, to uh, you know find what's out there. I hear often from uh, my colleagues. I teach this at a national level for a company that does holistic nursing um, training for uh, to prep for certification. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear often that nurses who are looking for information find a lot of conflicting information. Sure. And um, unfortunately, oils, um, as they are manufactured and available to um, our patients as well as nurses, there's a lot of unsafe information being shared with community. Um, there's some um, kind of networking sales modalities going on right now that, for example, recommend ingestion. 
Mm-hmm. And the um, my favorite book in terms of safety equality is Robert Tisserand, who is internationally known. He does a great deal of meta-analysis of, of research that's out there. Um, and he just republished about a year and a half ago his second edition. And that is kind of my, that's my go-to handbook for information. Okay. Uh, and I think his uh, his book is, is well-valued and one that I referenced for um, anybody who says, how come this works, how come it doesn't, um, or what do you have to validate that we should be using this, and that's, mm-hmm. that's my go-to. But there is a lot of misinformation out there. Um, ingestion is, while not completely restricted, these drops and you're taking them in your gut, um, there is, it has to be under very, very close scrutiny by a, a high level of integrated practitioner who can mm-hmm. monitor things like your LFTs um, when you're ingesting. So, but we, I think we all have a great learning curve in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, of uh, when I talk about things like MRSA and the impact of oils like tea tree oil on things like that, people are like, why aren't we using this? Why aren't we? And again, the research hasn't caught up to, I think, the level mm-hmm. of rigor mm-hmm. um, uh, to bring this fourfold, you know, completely into our arena of traditional Western medicine. But mm-hmm. it's making breaks. Um, it's, mm-hmm. ma- it's finding its way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just published, or I'm going to be uh, printed, but I was accepted for the uh, a, an aromatherapy journal, well known, um, about integration into healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you find that? And I think right now the the mantra of the patient experience is giving is giving me some wins. <laughs> That's great. Well, right. Just to wrap up, my last question sure. would be: If someone's not fortunate enough to work at the University of Pennsylvania with you, mm-hmm. and they're listening to this podcast and thinking, I would really like to explore this and get into this more and perhaps learn to do this myself, where would you recommend they turn? So for uh, not necessarily restricted to nursing, but if you, um, what I did when the IRB said to me, who is your aromatherapist, my, because there isn't a formalized certification nationally recognized program like many of the integrative practitioners, I went to the Holistic Nurses Association and they have two endorsed programs. They are, uh, one is completely distance learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, run by two nurses, well-published, well-researched, called the Institute of Integrative Aromatherapy. Wow. The other is Jane Buckle, who is uh, uh, from England. She just retired from the field, but her um, program is uh, partially live and partially distance learning. Uh, she tends to, uh, there's, there's one going on right now in up, uh, about two hours from Philadelphia in a uh, hospital in North Jersey. But they put them in areas, uh, they kind of come to where your needs are and, and offer you uh, location, geographic location, uh, proximity. But both of those are about 325 hours of work, of wow, CEUs or work. Uh, yeah, but they give you the very broad spectrum of the chemistry, um, the evidence base. You do 30 case studies. You have to do a research project. Um, there is testing involved. And that's what I completed 12 years ago, that um, that, that process made me uh, uh, considered expert to be able to conduct research, which I've done. Um, mm-hmm. I've done the study with lavender in my dementia patients, and then I did a study using black pepper to enhance vein visualization for, mm-hmm. for nurses who want to start IVs more effectively that was also published in an aromatherapy journal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, yeah, kind of wow. a different, different approach to, different, to meet our needs, yes. Well, but those, those, those two organizations are what I consider well-endorsed and uh, high-quality. 
Well, that's great. Well, certainly what you do for a living is very much different from what I do for a living, so maybe yeah. the answer is somewhere in the middle. And I totally using agree. using these uh, therapies, um, as you said, integratively, I think that uh, maybe is the best approach. Well, I would very much like to thank our guest, Dr. Susan Christianak, who is certainly an expert in aromatherapy, and I'm sure she will let me know when she comes up with that freshly baked bread or perhaps a pizza <laughs> aromatherapy. That would be my go-to, I think. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Christianak. That was You're very uh, informative. So again, this is Dr. Lynn McPherson, and this presentation is copyright 2017, University of Maryland. For more information on our completely online Master of Science and Graduate Certificates in Palliative Care, or for permission requests regarding this podcast, please visit graduate.umaryland.edu forward slash palliative. Thank you.